In every episode, our guests are going to share their mantra with you to set the tone for the rest of the show. I can't wait to introduce you to my friend, Dr. Abby Medcalf. But before we dive into how to be happily married, even if your partner won't do a thing, I want to share Dr. Medcalf's mantra with you. I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of giving love and receiving love. All right, let's go meet Dr. Abby Medcalf. Welcome to the Handle Everything podcast, where people who have a lot on their plate come to learn how to open doors to opportunities by handling it all in a healthy way. I'm your host, Tara Bradford, a former ICU nurse turned executive coach. Dr. Abby Medcalf is a relationship maven, TEDx speaker, and author who has helped thousands of people create happy, connected relationships. With her unique background in both business and counseling, she brings a fresh, effective perspective to relationships. She is the author of the number one Amazon bestselling book, Be Happily Married Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing, and the host of the top-rated Relationships Made Easy podcast. Welcome to the show, Abby. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Tara. I'm so happy you're here. And I start off every episode by asking the same question. We want to know, how full is your plate? (laughs) My plate is always very full, and I make sure that it's not overflowing. That's the job, is to have a full life without having an overwhelming life. So you are a mom and a business owner, and you have your PhD, Mm -hmm. and you wrote a book, (laughs) and you have a partner. (laughs) Yes, and my podcast, and all the things, and my blog, and my videos. Yeah, you know, there's never really, at the end of the day, time management problems. They are always attention management problems. When you start using that lens, your life completely changes. So I do a lot of things to ensure that my attention is fully engaged in something when I'm doing it so that I'm not multitasking because we lose about 400% of productivity when we multitask. It's huge. So people think they're getting more done. They're not. And that's huge. So just staying when I'm with my kids, I'm with my kids. I'm not doing my work. I'm not doing other things. I'm completely involved in them and very relaxed to be doing that. And when I'm doing work, I'm doing work. And the other thing I do when I'm at work, and this is one of the best tips I ever got, and I've been doing it for years, is I don't work on projects, I finish projects. So when I have something I'm doing, I don't work on it. I have a time slot to finish it. So that's it. So, you know, here it is. I have this hour to complete this blog that I'm writing. And so I will maybe set the alarm on my phone, you know, a reminder on my phone for a half hour and I'll research for a half hour. And then once that alarm goes off, that's it. I'm done researching and now it's time to write. So whatever I've done, it's done. It's good enough. (laughs) And then I write for a half hour and I set the alarm again for another half hour. And when that goes off, I need to be done. Sometimes I have a longer period, you know, maybe I'm working on something for two hours. And then when I have 10 minutes left or 15 minutes left, I'll set a reminder for that time. And so it can sound sort of anal when you hear it from the outside, like, oh, I got to set these reminders, but it's so simple. And it allows me to be really efficient 
And again, when I'm working on those things, like a blog, let's say I'm not checking email. If someone calls, I don't answer. It's completely doing that thing. And I just think that's been a really lost art in our world where we are trying to do all the things at once and you can't. I love that. That's a great way to handle everything because I know that people are really addicted to the new, like new program, mm -hmm. new course, new thing I'm working <laughs> on. And that makes us less likely to finish things because we're so excited about the beginning. We're not mm -hmm. really focusing on the finish line. Right. And, you know, this just happened yesterday. I was speaking to someone who had a business opportunity for me. And we were talking about maybe doing a show on his network and all this stuff. And he said, well, if you know, you were going to do it, are you thinking you can get this done, you know, together in a month? And I was like, a month? I said, no, I already have my Q1, Q2 goals laid out. I'm full until at least June. And I actually have those goals laid out too. I'd have to see if I could do that. So I have the whole year mapped out. So when new shiny things come in, I look at what I already have written and decide what's going to go if this is going to come in, because I've already filled that space. And that's the other problem. People just say yes to things going, oh, I'll make time. I'll have time. I'll do this. And you can't. Something has to come off the plate if something new is going to come on the plate. It can't just be adding endless things to the plate. That's when it overflows and you're overwhelmed. Right. So do you ever feel overwhelmed? It sounds like you have a pretty good system to avoid feeling that or to <laughs> prevent. I don't want to say avoid, but uh -huh. to prevent it from happening. Mostly, I relate to just trying to find humor in the moment and to having some perspective that it's all okay. I'll do this really short. But the other night, my daughter was getting in the shower and the whole shower plug came out of the wall and water was gushing out of the wall, like all over my bathroom and drowning us all. And to make a long story short, you know, we were trying to figure out how to shut off the water. I didn't know how, and all this is going on. And then someone knocks on my front door and I go, it's my neighbor telling me I have a flat tire <laughs> while all this water is gushing. <laughs> and it's one of those things where I was telling the story to someone the other day and he said, oh, that's so horrible. Oh my God, you know, that sucks. And he was going on and on like, you should have told your neighbor, this is not the time. I can't handle this right now. And he was doing this whole thing. And I said, no, I was laughing. Thought, oh my gosh, like what is going on? You know, that all these things are happening. So it's not like I'm happy that they were happening, but you know, we figured how to turn off the water and I have AAA that came to take care of the car and it's all okay. There's really nothing, if you put perspective on that we need to get this upset about, you know, that we're ruining our whole days or feeling so overwhelmed. And I will say it's really important. I take things off the plate a lot where I'll look at things that are going on and say, you know, we really can't get all that stuff done. What would you like to have go? I say to my kids all the time, you know, what has to leave? And the other thing that really helps is to add resources. So if you have a lot going on, then you need to think about what resources can I add that will make this easier? So getting maybe a cleaning person or bartering with someone to carpool their kids, you know, you take them on Tuesday and, you know, someone else takes them on Thursday and that gives you Thursday morning off. There's ways to really be thoughtful about bringing in resources to help you focus on what you're good at. 
So I can fold laundry. I'm very good at it. I can do it, but that's not where money gets made in my life. And that's not where happiness gets made in my life. You know, someone else does my laundry and folds it. (laughs) Sometimes it's my children, by the way. And sometimes it's my wonderful cleaning person, but either way, you know, yeah, I could do it, but that's not really adding to my life. And that's not giving me the bandwidth I need for other things. If I'm consumed with all the laundry and cleaning out under the sink and whatever else, there needs to be, again, something that comes off the plate. So you have time for the things that are more important to you and bring you joy. Absolutely. And I think those are all amazing tips. And I'm curious for you, what is the very first sign that something needs to come off the plate? or that Mm -hmm. you need to add resources, because I think it can be really easy to think you can handle a lot, especially when you're like, oh, I can (laughs) handle anything. I've got all Uh these things going. (laughs) And you feel like stress is a motivator. But what is that very first sign that you might need a resource? Oh, yeah. it's such a good question. So for me, I know right away when I'm impatient consistently, So I'm a control freak, so I definitely get impatient, (laughs) you know, here and there. But when it's consistent, when all day I'm noticing I'm impatient, my other one is when I notice I'm being resentful. So if I'm resentful of my partner, you know, he's not doing everything or my kids or they're taking advantage or some business person or whatever, resentment is always something that lets you know that you have too much on your plate. And the last one for a lot of people is anger. That feeling, you know, where you're agitated all the time, you're just feeling kind of, I call it crunchy, you know, and you're just like, you know, you're just feeling kind of crispy. And so I think everyone's a little different, but mine, it's that impatience comes up because I'm normally super patient and things just kind of roll, you know, I can go with it. And when I notice I'm not doing that, I really key in. And I will say that's another reason that we need to be really training our attention to be in the present moment, because otherwise you don't notice you're having those feelings until too late. You know, you're already having verbal diarrhea all over everybody (laughs) upset or losing your you know what. And that's already past the point of no return, right? So we want to catch it earlier. And by being mindful, we say, or I talk about attention training a lot, training your attention to be in the present. I don't catch it every single time, but I catch it most of the time. And so when I'm noticing that, I think, oops, whoops, what's going on? And I step back and you know what? Always there's something that could come off the plate. Oh, I wanted to make this great dinner tonight for my family and all this stuff's going on. You know what? We're going to order in pizza. Just sometimes you have to look at the schedule and go, yeah, this is all lovely and wonderful, but I can't do that all. And I think so many of us that help other people, we get very caught up in the perfection, you know, doing it right, doing it the best, doing it great. And that sometimes really has to go. And believe it or not, usually my giving up some of that it's still great because I am so over the top with how much I do and how much I give that bringing it down a notch is still awesome. And I would say that for the vast majority of people listening, that will be true for you (laughs) by far. Just step back, get some perspective and let some things go. I love that. And Abby and I are friends. And so we've actually had the conversation about the flat tire and the water gushing out of the wall (laughs) before. And there's one thing that Abby didn't share. And it was through the laughter. And at the end of the day, you were really grateful, like naturally grateful for the Mm -hmm. person who came and told you about the flat tire, because it helped you take care of it 
that night so that you could still get to work in the morning without having this catastrophe in the morning, trying to get your kids to school and go to work and do all the things then. Yep. So it was actually a blessing. It was. Oh, I totally saw it that way. You're so sweet to remember that. Yeah, I really did. I saw it and I thought how lucky I am that I have AAA. It didn't cost me anything, you know, to have someone come and take care of it. My wonderful son had jumped in the shower to (laughs) quell the deluge. And, you know, I had a neighbor who helped and we found a way to shut off the water. And, you know, it was all okay. And actually someone just fixed my shower yesterday. So it's all done. And I have another bathroom. So you know, we were able to shower in another room, like nothing was really lost. And so yeah, I was grateful. And I am grateful. And I do think that helps with the overwhelm. Because it's the lens you see things through. So I'm glad you brought that up. Because you're right. I sort of do that kind of automatically without thinking much about it. But it really helps not feeling overwhelmed. Because instead, you're in the gratitude, not in the fear. Absolutely. And that's a great example of a stress reliever. Are there any other things that you do consciously, since this was kind of natural, (laughs) anything you do consciously to relieve stress in your life? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I do love food. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. So sometimes, you know, (laughs) I have a cookie. I don't eat the whole bag. I keep candy in my office and I love to allow myself little moments of, you know, having a chocolate or playing a game on my phone for a few minutes. You know, there's those little mini stress relievers that are so great. And then I really do practice some small mini meditations. I have the Insight Timer and the Calm app on my phone. And sometimes I'll just do something for a few minutes. All those things help. I exercise every day, Monday through Friday, first thing in the morning. And it really all helps you know, with my overall feelings of well-being in the world. And I would say really the top thing, though, that I do that I encourage all my clients and all the people I work with to do is that when the alarm goes off in the morning, I get up. I do not snooze. Snooze alarms are the worst thing. They're horrible on a physical level because you're actually going into a deeper sleep and you end up having a harder time paying attention later the more you press the snooze alarm. There's a lot of science behind it. It's horrifying. But even more than that, just the fact that you're hurting yourself really with your attention and you're going to be more tired if you hit the snooze. But beyond that, you're waking up. When you hit the snooze, you're saying, I didn't get enough. I didn't get enough sleep. You're starting your day without enough. You're already starting in, oh, I got to get up. Oh, this sucks it's not going to work to have a really amazing day. And so, and that first commitment you've made for your day, the very first commitment of the day, which was to wake up at six o'clock or whatever that time is, you didn't keep, you didn't keep your first commitment to yourself. So it's much easier as the day goes on. If you said, Oh, I'm not going to eat, you know, junk food today, or I'm going to make sure I exercise or whatever. It's very easy to not keep those commitments because you don't keep commitments to yourself. You're not important enough to keep a commitment to. And that's a horrible way to start your day. So I get up every single day and I do this on the weekends too, actually, even though I don't go and work out. But when I get up, I sit up in bed, I put my feet on the floor. And my first thing is about setting intention for kind of what's next. Like, I'm going to have a great day. I'm going to really work on being patient today. See, there's that patience again. I'm going to work on being kind. I really want to be of service today to my family, to everyone I come in contact with. 
you know, having those sorts of things. And then I just get up and go, I, you know, go to the bathroom, brush my teeth, do my thing. But it's this different way to start. And it really will make a difference in how you feel during the day. That's amazing. And making the first commitment of the day to yourself by getting up and the second intention to others Mm -hmm. to be of service. And I want to shift gears a little bit on that note and talk about your expertise. It's with commitments to others or partnerships (laughs) and relationships. And stress can come up quite a bit between two people in a relationship. What are the most Mm -hmm. common ways that you see it showing up between the couples that you work with? Oh, I think the biggest way it shows up and the biggest problem couples have is that when we feel stressed, we start to draw inward. Fear is taking over and we set ourselves up on opposite teams than our partners. And we start to get really stingy with resources, time, money, those kinds of things. So we start saying things like, well, if you're going to go out with your friends on Friday, then I'm going to go out with my friends on Saturday. And, you know, I took Sophie to baseball practice on Monday. So you need to take Robert to his piano lesson on Wednesday. You know, we start getting all into this keeping score and let's keep it even. And that's all that resentment sort of building up and that feeling of, well, I'm overwhelmed. So, you know, kind of like you're going to be overwhelmed too. That stress of I'm not going to be able to take care of myself is really what it is. And if you're set up in an opposite team than your partner, then someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. That's what teams do. They compete. And if you're worried about losing, you're not cheering for them to win. And so it has to be a situation where you're both winning. And the thing I see the most with partners is that when something has to happen, let's say, you know, the laundry has to be done, whatever. They're always looking to their partner to pick up the slack, you know, to pull their weight, to do their fair share. We use those kinds of terms. And that's a problem because you and your partner are a shared resource. And so if you're pulling energy from your partner, you're pulling energy from yourself. You're hurting yourself. And so what you really need to do is something I mentioned earlier, which is look outside the couple, stop looking to your partner to take things on and look outside the couple to bring in resources to take those jobs. And I always say to folks, you know, you didn't, you know, maybe I'm talking to a woman, I'll say, you know, you didn't marry this guy because he was great at mowing the lawn. You married him because of all these wonderful things, right? You know, so get someone else to mow the lawn. You don't need him to do it. You know, get someone else to do it. Look outside. I'm sort of famous for saying, you know, that you can't look to your partner to take something off your plate because it's the same plate. You guys are sharing a plate. He or she cannot help you here. You need to think of it as this shared resource. So you want to look outside or you together want to take things off the plate. It shows up a lot in couples too when they're looking at thinking that something is a you problem or a me problem. There's nothing in a committed relationship that's a you or me problem. It's a we problem, everything. Because again, if your partner is struggling, you're going to struggle because it's taking away from that shared battery that you have. So whatever their thing is, you want to help and be of service. It doesn't mean you need to give 100 suggestions. Don't get into that. But you can start asking them questions to help brainstorm and to help them problem solve. You know, that's really where you want to be. That's awesome. And I love the idea of the shared resource. And it's something that you talk about in your book and in your TED Talk, the real reason relationships fail. Mm -hmm. And I think when couples come to your office, they don't want their relationship to fail. 
So even though they're bickering and pointing the finger at each other, what do you think they really want that brings them into your office to ask for help? Uh, you know, what we all want, which is to truly feel like someone has our back, to truly feel like I can exhale completely knowing you've got me. And that's what we don't have when we set ourselves up on opposite teams, right? When we start dividing resources and keeping track of what they're doing and comparing it to what we're doing, what we all want is that deep connection where we really feel that we're not alone. Absolutely. And that spark, right? People want to bring mm -hmm. the spark back into their relationship, especially if it's been a number of years, maybe they have kids, maybe they spend less time together or work is more demanding. And the time that they do have together starts to feel like work mm -hmm. because of this yes. not sharing resources <laughs> thing. And yes. so if someone came to you, a couple comes to your office and they say they want to find the spark in their relationship again, mm -hmm. what exercise or what would you walk them through in that conversation that our listeners might be able to get some quick wins and spark some things oh, yeah. up in their relationships? Mm -hmm. So the first thing is to start feeling like a team because sex can start to become a competition also and a withholding, maybe one partner's withholding. But really what's happening is when you feel disconnected, you often, well, women don't often want to have sex. We say a lot in my biz that men like to have sex to feel close and women need to feel close to have sex in traditional heterosexual relationships. And so that feeling of disconnection is the problem. So you want to have micro connections. If you want to bring the spark back, pay attention to your partner outside the bedroom. This goes for males and females. So my favorite thing to do, and what I practice every time, is that when my partner walks in the door, I stop everything I'm doing. And this goes vice versa. He'll do it for me too. You stop what you're doing. I don't care what it is or how busy you are. Stop it, walk to the door, to the door, and welcome them home and really look them in the eye. I'm so happy you're home. I've missed you all day. It's so good to see you. Welcome in. Whatever you want to say, we make out a little at the door. <laughs> you can do whatever you want there. Have a true hug. You know, just make a true contact. There's a family that lives down the street from me. And when the father comes home, there's three kids and the wife, and they line up near the door. And it's the most beautiful thing. He walks in and they touch foreheads. It's part of their culture, but they touch foreheads. It's this lovely moment. And then everyone kind of goes back to what they were doing. But it's truly like bringing this dad back into the family, you know, because they've all been home doing stuff, which sometimes happens. And now he's part of it, too. Just that moment of greeting is so beautiful. And I'm telling you, it's one of the game changers. Couples come in and say, I can't believe how greeting at the door changes things because it really does. That's amazing. And you also have a tip for people whose partners might not be listening to this and they drive home wondering what they're going to walk into when they go through the door. <laughs> what advice do you have for those people? That you set intention that you get yourself ready before you walk in so that you're in a certain headspace. Our conscious brains process information at a rate of 50 bits per second while our unconscious minds process information at a rate of 11 million bits per second. So we pick up on all kinds of energy that's being put out by other people. So when you walk in the house, if you have centered yourself, taken a moment, you know, shrugged your shoulders back, taken a nice deep breath, 
and thought to yourself, just like I said in the morning when you set intention before you get out of bed, if you set intention before you walk in, I'm going to be playful. I'm going to be sexy. I'm going to be calm. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be of service, whatever that is. And you walk in with that, people will pick up on that. And you know it because you pick up on your partner. If your partner comes home in a bad mood and you're in another end of the house, you know they're in a bad mood, even though you haven't seen them yet. It's like a disturbance in the force. You know, you can feel it. And it's the same thing. And you'll see that people start reacting to that very, very much. It's wonderful. Your partner doesn't hear what you say. They hear what you mean. And so if you're saying all the right things, but that intention's not there, that good feeling isn't there, they pick up on that and they react to that. They're always reacting to what's going on inside. Never the words, never what's on the outside, unless they're congruent. And there is a bright side to all of this. Once you start doing the work and you start setting these intentions and greeting your partner and you start to feel sparky again, mm -hmm. you don't need couples therapy forever. So tell me the difference mm -hmm. between needing to be pulled out of a rut and needing to work on your relationship over the long term, because you don't just welcome your partner in the door for like a week and then all of a sudden everything's better again. Right. That's like one building block of many. So if you started each day, you know, setting your intention and really doing these micro connections throughout the day, we say in therapy that anytime you talk to a client, it's a chance for a therapeutic intervention. And we learned that when I worked in hospitals too, anytime you have a patient, any little interaction, any little thing you have, and it's the exact same thing in our homes, that every time you talk to your partner, you say something, whatever that is, you're having these chances for connecting. And those little connections are really what counts. A lot of couples come together on the big connections. A lot of couples have no trouble with the big ones, you know, the big decisions. Are we going to move? What school is our kid going to? But those decisions happen five times a year. Those aren't the ones. It's those little things every day. That's what builds the relationship. That's what creates it. And, you know, therapy is a wonderful thing. But to me, it's not what you should be looking at as like the thing that's going to save you. Because whatever you do in the therapy office, if you're not practicing the skills outside, you're going to be in therapy forever. So you still have to practice it every day. You have to put that time aside. I shouldn't say time, but it's energy aside in your head every day for this commitment to your partner. And it takes an average of 66 days to change a habit. So I tell people, think of doing this for 90 days. If you do this for 90 days, you will absolutely positively see these changes, you know, using these tools all day long, just every day, re-upping, <laughs> re-upping. To that attention to your partner, you'll see incredible change. And in your book, you say that they can use these tools even if their partner won't do a thing. Uh-huh. So here's what usually happens. I'll give someone a good tool and people listening right now are like, oh, I like that tool. I'm going to go home and use that. But then what I mentioned before, the intention, what's happening unconsciously isn't aligned. So maybe they're thinking, well, this is fine to try the little greeting at the door, but you know, our problems have been happening a really long time. So I don't think this is going to work or I can't change the relationship because my partner refuses to change, right? These are all those limiting beliefs we have. And because our unconscious is putting that out. So even though I'm greeting my partner at the door, they're picking up on this other energy. They're picking up on your doubt, on your frustration, 
on your overwhelm, on your anger, on your resentment. That's what they're picking up on. So then your partner doesn't react the way you thought they would, right? Because <laughs> they're picking up on this other thing. So your partner's going, well, I see they're changing, but I don't know if I can trust this. So they don't change anything. And then, you know, you usually come back to my office and say, Abby, that tool didn't work. And I say, no, it will work. But you need to have that intention there. You need to align those two things first and do it in full service, in full generosity. You give 100% without looking at your partner's other percent. It doesn't matter what they're putting in. It matters what you're putting in. And you put in that 100% and keep the responsibility and the focus on you every day. And that is when your partner will start to change. But as soon as you're looking at them to change or you're doing something so that they change, that's called manipulation, they won't or it won't stick. Right. And we have to release the desire to control other people's behavior, even though that's <laughs> probably the annoying thing that brings people to your office. Yes, I'm a control enthusiast and I love to control. <laughs> it's very hard to let that go, but that's what it is. And again, it's getting out of that competition mindset. Well, I'm going to do this if they do that. That is called conditional love. You're on a condition. If you're going to unconditionally love someone, it means you love fully. You do not wait for what they're doing. There's not a string attached. You are doing what you're doing. And with full love, full certainty that what you're doing is going to reap amazing rewards. I love it. And I have a copy of your book and I think it is amazing. So if anyone's oh, listening and you. you want more tips from Abby, there are plenty inside mm -hmm. the book, how to be happily married, even if your partner won't do a thing. Yay. And I it's love, great I for people it. who aren't married too, because mm -hmm. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I've had a lot of reviews actually on Amazon from people who were single saying this is a great book for everybody. So yeah, I'm really proud of it. And it's very actionable, like the tools and tips I'm giving right now. There's tons of them in the book. I love it. Well, we're going to wrap up the interview a little bit with a few fun questions. I know this has already been super fun, but <laughs> I just want you to say the first thing that pops into your head. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. What does it mean to feel successful to you? To feel calm, connected, and satisfied with my life every day. What's something you've accomplished that you're most proud of? Oh, my kids. My kids are like good people. They're good little people. So it feels amazing. That's the best. What are you most looking forward to this year? Oh, I'm most looking forward to publishing my second book and taking and a big gonna... vacation. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's going to keep you up at night after this interview? Oh, boy. You know, that I didn't give people good enough tips or that I wasn't really on point enough so that people walk away feeling inspired and motivated and actually take action today. That's what I want all the time. And you gave us a lot of mantras in this interview. What's the one that you hope people walk away with? I would say really what's underneath it all is I'm worthy of love. Unconditional love. Unconditional love. There you go. <laughs> I'm worthy to give it and I'm worthy to receive it. Yeah. And what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? My website, abbymedcalf.com, A-B-B-Y-M-E-D. The D is in there, C-A-L-F.com. And everything's there. Me, the podcast, the blog, everything's on the website. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Abby. This was truly a pleasure.
Oh, thank you. I loved being here. Can't wait to do it again. What did you think? I hope you enjoyed that episode. To check out the links and everything from the show, go on over to handleeverything.com. Also, Dr. Abby Medcalf's book, How to Be Happily Married Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing, is available now on Amazon. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you do that so more people like you can find this show. And thank you again to Dr. Medcalf for being on the show. And remember, you're extraordinary, and I'm so proud of you for being able to manage all of the things on your plate. From me and the podcast team, make today the best day. And by the way, if you haven't listened to episode eight yet, it's an episode from Faye Zenoff, an addiction recovery consultant helping individuals, families, and organizations remove unconscious bias and stigma so people can stay healthy, safe, and supported. And it's one of my most downloaded episodes. Check it out at handleeverything.com. Hey, in case I haven't said thank you enough yet, thanks for listening to the Handle Everything podcast at handleeverything.com.